I'm Dr. Owen Anderson, and I'm a professor of philosophy and religious studies at Arizona State University. And today we're going to look at the historicity of the resurrection of Christ. All I ask from you is that you subscribe to my channel, click the like button, leave a comment so we can have a discussion. Now, the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we know if this really happened in history? I'm going to use this setting of a debate between William Lang Craig and Bart Ehrman. And William Lang Craig presents the standard evidentialist view, the evidentialist argument for, and let me tell you what that is here. I have some notes for you. The, the standard evidentialist approach which says something like this. Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, he is who he says he is. And therefore, God exists because he says he's God. So that's the kind of argument they'll give. Well, how do we know he rose from the dead, you'll ask? Good question. Uh, on this approach, what they'll say is, well, there are eyewitnesses. And this is what he does with, in his debate with Bart Ehrman. There are eyewitnesses. And they all say they saw Jesus and the tomb was empty. And then the, the apostles, particularly, but those working with the apostles, they, many of them died for this. If it was a lie, one of them under torture or out of fear of death would have broken and said, okay, we made it all up. It's not real. So people don't die for a lie. And then it's not a group hallucination. There's really no such things. It might even take time, the, the evidentialist, to go into like medical reports to show, yeah, you couldn't have 12 or more people hallucinating they saw someone. So they'll give these kinds of arguments uh, with the goal of saying, if he rose from the dead, then he is uh, God in a specific definition of God. So I'm going to suggest this is not a sound argument, but I do, I do think there is a sound argument. So in the debate, I'm going to show you, I think, I think Bart Ehrman makes some, some decent points. William Lane Craig gives the thing that I just said, that sort of argument. And then I'm going to show you a few minutes of how Bart Ehrman replies to him. Bill claims that the best explanation of his four facts is that there was a miracle that happened. Hume, in fact, was not talking about what I'm talking about. Hume was talking about the possibility of whether miracle happens. I'm not talking about whether miracle can happen. I don't accept Hume's argument that miracles can't happen. I'm asking, Suppose miracles do happen. Can historians demonstrate it? No, they can't demonstrate it. If Bill wants to flash up his mathematical possibilities again, then I suggest that he plug in other historical options. For example, the one that I've already laid out that he's ignored, that possibly two of Jesus' family members stole the body, and that uh, they were killed and thrown into a common tomb. It probably didn't happen, but it's more plausible than the explanation that God raised Jesus from the dead. Let me give you another explanation, just off the top of my head from last night, sitting around thinking about it. You know, we have traditions from Syriac Christianity that Jesus' brothers, who are mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, uh, one of whom was named Jude, were particularly close to Jesus, and that one of these brothers, Jude, otherwise known as Judas Thomas, was Jesus' twin brother. Now, I'm not saying this is right, but that is what Syrian Christians thought in the 2nd and 3rd centuries. 
that Jesus had a twin brother. How can he have a twin brother? Well, I don't know how he could have a twin brother, but that's what the Syrian Christian said. In fact, we have interesting stories about Jesus and his twin brother in a book called The Acts of Thomas, in which Jesus and his twin brother are identical twins. They look just alike. And every now and then, Jesus comes down from heaven and confuses people. When they've just seen Thomas leave the room, there he is again, and they don't understand. Well, it's because it's his twin brother showing up. Suppose Jesus had a twin brother. Nothing implausible. People have twins. After Jesus' death, Judas Thomas, like all others connected with Jesus, went into hiding and he escaped from Judea. Some years later, one of Jesus' followers saw Judas Thomas at a distance and he thought it was Jesus. Others reported similar sightings. Word spread that Jesus was no longer dead. The body in the tomb by that time had decomposed beyond recognition. The story became more widely accepted that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and in the oral traditions, more stories started up and told about the event, including stories about them discovering an empty tomb. That's an alternative explanation. It's highly unlikely. I don't buy it for a second. But it's more likely than the idea that God raised Jesus from the dead because it doesn't appeal to the supernatural, which historians have no access to. Bill did not deal with the inconsistencies that I pointed out among our accounts. He simply said, well, earlier accounts are better than later accounts. If that's what he thinks, I want him to come clean and tell me. Does he think that the later accounts are inconsistent, and he does he think there are errors in them? Yes or no? Bill admits that unembellished accounts are more likely to be historical accounts. If that's what he thinks, I want him to answer my question, yes or no. Does that mean that the embellished accounts of the Gospels are not historical? You see, he can't have it both ways. He can't say that unembellished accounts like Mark's burial scene are probably historical because they're unembellished, and then say that John's account, which is embellished, is also historical. If both embellished and unembellished accounts are equally historical, then the criterion has no weight that says that unembellished accounts are more likely to be historical. He asks, why would the women appear uh, at the tomb? Uh, I made an argument for why Mark or one of this community may have invented the women. His response is, well, Mary Magdalene was a follower of Jesus. Well, Mary Magdalene's very popular these days, since everybody's read the Da Vinci Code, and if you haven't, it came out of paperback today. Uh, for the two of you who haven't read it yet. Uh, well, yes, uh, Mary Magdalene was a follower of Jesus. But his own argument was that nobody would invent the women because they were marginalized. Because men didn't think highly of women. My response is that's precisely why Mark would invent the tradition. Because in Mark's gospel, it's the marginalized who understand who Jesus is. It's not the male disciples. That's why you have the story of the women discovering the tomb. All right. So general idea, response that, that Ehrman's giving. Alternative in way to interpret the evidence. That's the essence of, of what he's doing. There's an alternative way to interpret this evidence. And he gives one, which and he says is silly himself, but he thinks it's more likely than the alternative that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that's part of the problem is how do you get into, let me add that in here. 
probability, likelihood, plausibility. Really, these last two are kind of the same, and they just mean, they really mean more about you. I find this likely. I find this plausible. That tells us about your framework. Probability, how would you set the probability of resurrection of the dead? Like, out of 10 instances, 0.7 people are raised from the dead. I mean, that's not a matter of statistics or probability. So that's one reason why Ehrman's saying this is not an area for the scientists. I mean, the historians. Now, I think he's wrong about that, but that's one reason that he's saying that is it has to be objective material evidence as we study. On that, I agree. What he's overlooking is the objectivity of reason, which I'm going to get to in a moment, that he's failing to use reason to know some basic things which would help him solve this problem of the resurrection. But the evidentialist argument is simply unsound. And so he's able to then attack that and think that he's won some great victory. There are alternative interpretations better perhaps than the one he's coming up with. And we could go through a few. I'll just name them and give a small hint of what they would say. That's, this would be more of a time for a world religion class. But each of these has a perspective on who Jesus was. And, and the thing is, each of these could affirm the resurrection. You don't have to deny it the way Bart Ehrman is. You could say, yeah, that did happen. The materialist slash pragmatist could say, yeah, the resurrection happened. A lot of weird stuff happens in history that we don't understand. It has very little bearing on my life in the 21st century. And perhaps one day through advances in medical research, we'll figure it out. But even today, there's a lot of weird medical stuff that we hear stories about happening. And, and at least that stuff we can study today. Something that happened a long time ago, I don't know. Uh, so you don't even have to say it didn't happen. Just say, yeah. Lots of weird things happen in the world. That's why we have science and why we have to admit we don't know what they mean or what it's for. The Hindu say, yeah, this is an avatar of Krishna, one of the enlightened ones, one of the great teachers. Something similar will be done with Buddha, one of the great teachers. Islam, uh, Islamic approach could be to say, yeah, he's one of the prophets. Don't deny who he is. Uh, they might deny the crucifixion altogether. And there, there's a few different views of what they do with either denying the crucifixion or, or having the, the person Jesus replaced. So then they would sidestep the whole issue of resurrection altogether and say he didn't die. Uh, but that would be their own miracle that they'd be saying happened at the cross. And the Jewish approach, the, uh, which would be early on just to deny, to say, yeah, someone stole the body. And then they got the story going around that there's a resurrection. Um, so, but then you could have a kind of Jewish mystical approach, which might blend with these two. One of the spiritual teachers of the world, polytheistic would be something similar, or occult. Interesting, the occult might have their own view. We could add that as another one. So polytheistic, yeah, there's these, these kind of God-like angelic beings that come down and give us wisdom every now and then. The occult view, uh, similar again, but, you know, somewhat at least different enough to say, yeah, one of the... Um, one of the spiritual beings, this is the Gnostic view, who comes down, teaches us, and can take us back up to heaven. So these could all say, sure, the resurrection happened, but we don't know what it means, or it means something different than the Christians think. So the evidentialist doesn't help us there. You see, he's saying, if Jesus rose from the dead, then we get all the rest of Christian theology, and that's just not true. You don't get that. You're going to have to do other work to get it. That's unsound. You, you've, uh, you've, got, you've overextended from premise to conclusion. So what's an alternative? Well, the alternative is this, and here's where Bart Ehrman's completely coming short. It's clear that God exists from general revelation. And unfortunately, he's being fueled in that by William Lane Craig's approach. But 
Ehrman's responsible for using reason himself, and he should know it's clear that God exists. And here I'm just asserting that. I have other videos to demonstrate that. But it's clear from general relation that God exists. And so sin begins in unbelief, the failure to know God. You'd see that in the very first temptation. The temptation is you can be as God, which would exhibit that you don't know who God is if you think you can be God. So sin begins there, unbelief. Death is imposed, physical death, as a callback from that sin. Not as punishment, like I'm going to get you for doing something wrong, but as saying, you have gone into sin, and here's a call to stop and think, to repent. And you'll see that emphasized in Genesis 3 and all throughout the scriptures, God's use of that call back to humans. So that's the purpose of physical death. You already know that. You should know that before you come to the question of the resurrection. And then, therefore, if that's the purpose of physical death, when sin is removed, death is removed. You, if you didn't sin, you could put it this way, if, if you didn't sin, you wouldn't die because you wouldn't need to call back. So if you did sin or, or if you didn't sin and you're uh, crucified and so your body dies, it wouldn't stay dead. You would expect that. And so that's summarized by saying this phrase, which we find in a couple of places in scripture, the Messiah must first suffer and then enter into his glory. And you know that already coming into the gospels. This is not a gospel truth. It's, I mean, it's the gospel truth, the gospel truth, but it's not something you know, for, you don't go to Mark and the women's testimony. You already know this. I'm going to give you an, in, in 3G uh, an example of that. So in other words, it's to be expected. This whole debate should be, should be avoided in the first place because you know ahead of time, you expect the Messiah would be raised from the dead. If he didn't sin, he wouldn't stay dead. He conquered sin. So this idea of being surprised is contrary to what you should know. And then the idea of arguing about witnesses seeing him produces these kind of academic wheels spinning and doesn't get us anywhere when we should just do what the Apostle Paul does. I'm recommending him as a philosopher. In Acts 24, this is, uh, let me, sorry, Luke 24. We'll go there and then we'll go to Acts and Paul. So first Luke, Luke says, on the road to Emmaus, these two persons are walking, two disciples, and they're talking about what just happened, the death and resurrection. And Jesus comes along as walking with them, but they don't recognize him. And he says, what are you talking about? And he says, they say, what are you, a stranger? We're talking about all these things that just happened in Jerusalem. Uh, well, tell me about it. And, and they're confused. They tell him the story and they're confused about what happened. And he says this to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe what the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to first suffer these or have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. They should have known this going into it, and he chastises them. They're foolish for not knowing it. He doesn't take them back to Jerusalem and show them the empty tomb, say, do you see any bodies in here? So therefore, Jesus is God. He, said, he is who he says he is. No, he says, you should have known this from Moses. That's how the whole Bible begins is right here. In the, in the beginning, God, who's eternal, created the heavens and the earth, not eternal. And you should know that. And failing to know that is unbelief. And due to unbelief, there's a call back from unbelief. And when that call back is, when that unbelief is removed, that call back is removed. And so the Messiah first suffers, not for his own sin, but for the sins of the world. And then he won't stay dead. You should expect it. 
see how that flows. And we can go through what I would, what I encourage you to do. I didn't put down verses from Moses and the prophets. You should make that a, a challenge from Christ himself to not be slow. Go back and look at Moses. What, where can we find this? I told this to one Christian apologist and they said, what? So going to like biblical prophecy, like, like, you know, Isaiah said this 700 years before Christ and it came true. No, that's not what it's talking about at all. Uh, well, not, I shouldn't say not at all. That's a, like a, an event diagram. That's a tiny part of a Venn diagram. It's talking about this whole expectation from the beginning of creation and the reality and the purpose of sin, why God permits sin and what he's going to do about it in redeeming. It's the essence of the story of Abraham and Isaac. So get into those stories and find out why did Christ direct them here instead of just walking back up to Jerusalem to the empty tomb. And then we get Paul in Acts 26 before King Agrippa. And he says, therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, when it seemed both to small and great, saying no other things than what the prophets and Moses, same group, should said would come, that the Christ would suffer, and that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Almost the exact same phrase. He must first suffer and then introduce glory. He must first suffer. And then he'll be raised from the dead and proclaimed. Proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So this is the approach you should, what, what, what should be asked is, Bart Ehrman, what do you think has existed from eternity? Because I don't know, I'm just a historian. Well, you're also a human and you can think and you should know. That's without excuse. And that's why you need a Messiah. And the Messiah is Christ. Now, coming back to these other interpretations, none of these even gets past 3A. Maybe you might say the two theistic ones do. Uh, so, so they would start to have trouble when they're thinking about the purpose of the uh, sacrifices. Jew, the, the Jewish and the Christian are very close in saying there must be a vicarious atonement, the day of atonement, the holy day for, for Judaism. And Islam would say, no, no, there's no atonement like that through sacrifices. So you might say, well, they do this one. But, but really, uh, I mean, especially if Genesis 1-1 affirming this, but these don't and these don't. So you've already ruled down those. Those interpretations suggest something is eternal, not God. Usually they're kind of all is eternal. All things that exist have always existed and will continue to exist uh, but they don't go past these, especially E. So this narrows down, the, as an alternative, this narrows down the interpretations. It avoids the unsound argument of the evidentialist, and it turns it back on Bart Ehrman to say, yeah, you, you yourself should know God. That's not just a hypothesis thrown out there, but that's a question you have to deal with as well in thinking about the reality of unbelief and the failure to know God. So I think we can make progress on the historicity of the resurrection. And knowing it, not from an evidentialist approach, but knowing it because we first understood that the, the Christ must first suffer and then in turn to his glory. So thanks for joining me as we study the history of the resurrection. Look forward to seeing you next time.